Our scripture reading for today comes from John chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Um, again, if you came straggling in, uh, my name's Dave, and um, I forgot to say earlier, if you're new or you've never heard me preach before or um, you've been coming in the last couple months when I've been in and out, um, I have a stutter and it'll kind of come in and out as I go and just want to give you all a, uh, a heads up on that, on, on what, the, what that is. And um, go ahead and turn with me to John 4. We're going to cover... Uh, the bulk of the chapter, and so we have a lot of work together. So turn to John chapter 4. It's uh, the fourth book in the New Testament, and um, if you don't have a Bible with you, I, I want to make sure you have God's Word to follow along with as, as I preach through it. So would you hold your hand up high and keep it up, and somebody will get you a copy of God's Word. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español, y si no tiene ningún Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted de nosotros y esta mañana estamos en el, el libro de Juan, capítulo 4. Um, and so again, if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you, okay? Please keep it and put your name in it and underline stuff and ask questions. We're going to hand up here, um, so make sure everyone gets a Bible. Good job. Way to be bold and do that. Um, I'll, I'll help. I'll be an auctioneer. I got a stutter, so that's out of the question um, in terms of job potential, but I could do it here. It'd be fun. Um, again, we have a lot to cover, so um, let me go ahead and, and pray again as we, as we get into his word. I want to make sure the Lord, through his spirit, um, at work through the preaching of his word, shapes us. And so let's go before him and, and ask him to do exactly that. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we don't take it for granted, or in fact, perhaps often we do. But, but in this morning, and, and, and Lord, we pray increasingly throughout our lives that you would remind us the gift of life and hope in, in a broken um, world, Lord. And as we see the effects of sin on display in many ways throughout this time in John 4, Lord, we also will see the good news of Jesus and, and, and who you are and what you've done. And so, Lord, we pray that we would, would now in this time be shaped. Lord, I pray that through the, Lord, the, the preaching that you would let me handle 
your word well, that, 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 um, or that the, the words of our mouths and the thoughts of, our, of our, our minds or our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So have you ever felt um, a time where you just wanted to hide? Where you did something, something happened, maybe it was kind of an embarrassing moment, something like that, that you just wanted to, to shrink. And um, joked about shortness, right? I don't want to shrink anymore. But there have been some, a lot of times actually in my life, as I was thinking about this going into this time, there have been a lot of times where I just kind of wanted to not be noticed. Other times where I really, really wanted to be noticed, like jumping up and down. But um, one time that came in particular, and honestly, my first flinch was like, I don't want to share this. It is not one of my shining moments that I'm proud of. But it included um, me getting found out for essentially stealing a number of frozen pizzas, like mini little frozen pizzas. Now, not the big DiGiorno that can be like paper thin, like Schwann's. If any of you guys have ever heard of Schwann's, like the, that truck that drives around and magically delivers amazing food to people's doorsteps. Well, um, we grew up pretty poor, so Schwann's truck never, I didn't think it ever came in our neighborhood, but certainly didn't stop at our house. And um, so these pizzas, though, where I lived at the time, um, I had some friends that were pretty wealthy, and we, and they knew the Schwann's truck really well, and they would get these frozen pizzas. And my friend was totally cool with me eating as many as I wanted when I was at his house. And so I would. I would go there. I'd get these little, they're like mini ones. And you heat them up and they're delicious and melty and so good and so bad for you. And um, I loved it. And um, he was also cool with me taking a couple for the road, you know. So I, whenever I wanted at home, I could kind of space it out and d delight in the goodness of these pizzas. Well, I got a, maybe more than I could easily conceal in my small frame, and um, I got like, uh, I don't know, probably five to ten of them under my shirt. And um, my brother came to pick me up. That's important because my mom would not have stood for this at all. She would have pulled me back in there by my ears, and I'd have been. But my brother came to pick me up, and I'm walking out to his car, and my friend's older brother was out there who knew my older brother, and they're talking, and then. Um, my friend's older brother's girlfriend was also there and she knew me and so she sees me kind of hustling and normally like still today like do you talk to people hey how's it going well I was I was laser focused I want to get from point A to point B you know without being discovered and I get in uh, my in the car and kind of sitting there and just sitting there right like pizzas under my shirt and she just comes up and opens the door and is like what's going on kind of pulls my shirt up there and is like whoa what do we have here and it was so embarrassing. Like the brother came up, the mom and dad were out in the parking lot too. And of course, in that moment, they're like, this poor little guy, like, take some pizzas. What, you want something else, you know? But no, I don't. And it was so embarrassing. And I don't know if I stole or not, right? Let's be real. I did steal. But I mean, my friend was complicit on it. It was involved. So is that what we do? We just try to justify sin. And um, no, it was, but more than that, I was found out. Like I was, and I just wanted to hide in that moment and, and was so embarrassed. And, um, and, 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 and that's kind of a funny, silly story. That's a little snapshot of the reality of the effects of sin in the world around us. So sin, I don't just want to assume that we all know what sin is and we just kind of use this word, you know, throw it out there and, you know, and people use it all the time. Like, oh, that's his, you know, ugliest sin or whatever, right? They, well, sin in a nutshell is not God. 
Okay, so in the, in the scriptures, in the very beginning, we see that God, who is creator of all, perfect, holy, just, beautiful, majestic, created everything and is the height of his creation, created man and woman. He said, let us make man in our image and, and gave us dominion, charged us to lead over all things and to have our relationship with each other, with man and woman and within humanity, with all of world, all the world. Everything we do would be a, a direct reflection of our relationship with him and our longings and our work and our relationship with ourselves and how we view ourselves and everything would be directly um, flowing from who God is and that we would find our identity and our purpose and our fulfillment and our satisfaction from him okay but sin enters into the world and it's again essentially the first man and woman saying thanks but no thanks all right I want it my way I want to do it the way I want to do I want to replace you God I don't want to need you and depend on you I want to define my whole life I want to define my relationships I want to define what fulfills me and satisfies me and here's the the deal the effect of that is this is that we are now prone to isolation and, and then fear of being exposed. And that's on display in Genesis chapter 3. You see that when the man and woman first discover they're naked and now they feel ashamed and are hiding. And, and God says, right, who told you that happened? And that's how the effects of sin come to be on display. And then finally, we live in desperation. So again, there's isolation Fear of being exposed and desperation. But as Sarah said earlier, she led through the assurance of grace, but God. But God being rich in mercy. But Jesus entering in, fully God and fully man, entering in, breaking into the, the story that has now been broken. The story that all of our lives have been so clearly affected by and impacted by. Jesus came in and what we see in Jesus is in contrast that Jesus pursues and then Jesus exposes. And then ultimately Jesus satisfies the deepest longings and needs of his people. So as we look at what perhaps to some has been a familiar story, it's the story of the woman at the well, right? That's what we see. We see the traumatic impact of sin and then we see the good news of Jesus, on display. And so that's what we'll walk through now as we get into this story in John chapter 4, verse 1. So let's read there. Now, when Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So um, how we're going to go about this this morning, we're going to read some, explain, read some, explain, just kind of walk through the, the text, and we have a lot to cover. But what we see in the beginning here is some details that the author of this account of Jesus' life and ministry and work is that he gives some details that he wants to help us understand this story before we enter into the dynamic as he relates with the Samaritan woman at the well. And the big idea here, first of all, that we see is that Jesus is weary. He's exhausted, 
All right, he's been walking a long way. As he's going from Judea, which is in the south where Jerusalem is, he's now walking through a certain valley, right? We know something about that, right? Think Tucson to Phoenix. Hot, long, tiring journey, and even the time of day is placed in there so we understand. Jesus is tired. He's thirsty. He's probably hangry, right? You know what that is, right? Hungry and angry, right? He's just, it's not like he's doing, he's on his best game in terms of his physical, um, where he's at, right? It's not all easy right now. He's tired, he's weary, and that informs this conversation. And so in that place, physically, where he is, though, he still has eyes to see. All right, now we can't miss that as we've walked through this series, right? Love walked among us, where we've seen different interactions of Jesus, where we've understood the person and character of Jesus, and we get a little more understanding of his mannerisms and how he relates with people and what's going on. We can't miss here his humanity. Okay, that again, as I said earlier, Jesus is fully God and fully man. And in this moment, we might take for granted, oh, he's Jesus. It's always easy. He's just kind of going along and whatever. But no, he has taken on flesh, like you and me. In Hebrews, we're told that he knows what it means to be human. He knows every temptation. He knows what it's like. And so he's experiencing exhaustion, hunger, thirst. And yet he still has such an intimacy with the Father. And, and then at the very end of this book, which we're not going to, or this account here, this story, which we're not going to, Get into, for sake of time, right? Will said, look, less is more. But when he's talking with his disciples, he says, listen, I delight. I have a food that feeds me. I am satisfied by living out my Father's will. Okay, and, and now I don't want to diminish the importance of healthy boundaries and eating food and drinking water, right? This isn't some crazy cult. We don't do, right? Yeah, eat food, drink water, like survive, you know. But, but at the same time, there's something greater, and that'll come into play here. But Jesus wants to say, listen, ultimately, my, 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 my first call, my, my, my MO, right, how I go about life is to do the will of the Father. And that includes having eyes to see specifically the people that he brings across my path. And so he enters into this scene that we heard in the scripture reading. In verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then again, so it's clear, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So a couple things here in this section that we need to understand. Okay, hear me now, right now, that really applies to our day as well. Is there are a number of walls between Jesus and this woman that we would otherwise take for granted. Right? We just, we just kind of read here, okay, cool, all right, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, whatever, kind of no big deal. But pressing in, again, the author here wants to make it abundantly clear that it's not natural. In fact, the fact that she says, how is it that you, being a Jew, would have a relationship or ask a question of me, a Samaritan woman? There's a number of walls, again, that we can't just assume or or, or, or overlook, all right? One of them is that Jesus is a man and she is a woman. 
In this culture, in this time, it was unheard of. And even again, getting to, at the very end of the story, his own disciples, his followers, when they see what's going on, they're even suspicious. In fact, they're thinking like, what's going on, Jesus? I thought you were above board. Like, are you trying to have relations with this woman? That's what they're implying. Okay, so there's some, there's some boundaries going on here too that, again, cultural wisdom would say, oh, kind of keep it here, like keep it safe. And yes, do that, right? We've talked about that here before, but at the same time, not at the expense of the heart of someone who's created in God's image and is in desperate need. And so Jesus sees this woman. He goes through this, this wall. And there's another one that Jesus being a rabbi, would not talk to someone who's poor. The fact that she's there by herself, that she didn't send a servant to go for her, that she's carrying her own jug of water. Jesus is a rabbi who's well-respected, would not talk to someone in a a different socioeconomic bracket. There's ethnic racial tension here as well. Jesus is a Jew. She's a Samaritan. And we could get into all that that means. But in this context, again, culturally, the the Jews were people of privilege and power. And they isolated. And there was a history of of, um, ostracizing and 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 of cultural brokenness that the Samaritans were in many ways the recipients of. And so the fact that Jesus uses his power and his privilege to, to, in a sense, descend socially and to engage this woman in conversation is no small matter. All right, and I, you know me, I want to get into that right now, but we need to continue on. But we can't miss these walls that Jesus is bombarding through, all right, that he's blowing up. All right, so he is in this conversation with this woman, and we'll get into some of her plight and who she is. But again, he sees the fact that she's alone at a time when a woman would never be walking to a, a well at that time of day by herself to get water. So she's not popular. All right, she's at, sitting in the corner of the cafeteria, all right, and people aren't going out of their way to sit at her table. All right, she's the person who's sitting there and people walk in and look around and are like, uh, and you are even like, hey, I got one here. And like, oh, yeah, all right, cool, right? Anyone else? No one else ever experienced that? It's just me, right? Like, you, no, thanks, I'm good. I'll go find, I'll go sit somewhere else. I'll stand, right? That's what she's used to, being treated that kind of way. And yet again, Jesus blows through those walls and then he now talks to her when she says, how is it that you would ask me for a drink, right? And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you, given you living water. And then, um, and then he goes on, or, and then she asks, you know, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And then Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, one thing to to acknowledge here is Jesus is laying a foundation. All right, for his conversation. He sees through her 
facades or or the walls that she even now builds back up, right? Jesus is laying a foundation to get to her heart, to to bring the good news to bear in a very real way in her life, okay? The good news of who he is, this this water that will will continue to fully satisfy. So Jesus um, is laying that foundation and then says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so she, right, is in this, she kind of takes the bait, so to speak, but it's not like that. It's not like Jesus is trying to trick her or anything like that. She, she, she hears what Jesus has said, and what he's doing is he's tapping into a deeper longing, and she thinks it's just a kind of a, a, a surface one. And those aren't mutually exclusive, by the way, right? But he's, he's speaking into a very present, very real need, but, but he's getting at something much deeper that's going on. And so in this next section, Jesus gets to the heart, okay? In this seemingly awkward exchange where he's talking on this, like, have you ever heard a conversation that way where one person's talking about one thing and the other person is not really understanding and they're answering and you're like, they don't get it, all right? Some of you guys, I'll just give a little shout out. If you guys remember Jared Carter, who used to be here and is a member here and led, and they moved to Phoenix, sadly, and we sent them off and loved them. And well, he tells a story that I'm not going to try to repeat, but it's hilarious where he's at the barber shop and he's trying to share his faith with the person who's cutting his hair and he's talking about church. His wife's over there waiting, hearing this conversation, and she sees what's going on because the woman cutting his hair thinks he's talking about church's chicken. And they're just missing it. Right, and he's talking about church and going all this, and she's like, "Oh yeah," and and he's not picking it up, and she's not picking it up, but his wife, kind of third party, is seeing this thing just train wreck. Okay, that's a little bit like what's going on here. Okay, in this conversation, but again, go back to the result of sin. That was a great transition, right? I don't know, <laughs> kind of, but. but Churches is not a result of sin, by the way. That's good news of God's provision, manna. But, all right, you've got, you've got this woman, and just remember, isolation and then hiding. And Jesus just plows right through that and goes straight for her heart. And so let's see him do that in this way when it almost seems like Man, Jesus, what are you, like, oh, no, you didn't. Like, that's not very nice. But look at him in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. All right, Jesus, again, goes straight for her heart in exposing what's been going on in her life. Again, the result of sin is this. Okay, hear me right now. We need to be tracking on this. Remember, because all of us, every one of us in this room, I am convinced that our propensity is some form of isolation. And some of you, like me, might be like, oh, I'm a hyper extrovert. I'm always around people. I don't isolate at all. But no, at some level, we we don't want to be found out. 
right? We, we retreat. So even if we're Mr. Popular, we're on social media all the time, whatever, there's our propensity, the result of sin is to withdraw. And then from there, it's directly connected to a fear of being exposed, a fear of being found out. As we, as we sung about, talked about sins that have been committed against us and also sins that we have chosen to, to in, indulge in, to engage in, to, to circular, circle our lives around, and often those go hand in hand. And yet Jesus pursues, and Jesus exposes. But while we might read this and be like, Jesus, why are you being so mean to her? Why do you got to air her dirty laundry? It's because he knows that the best thing for her is not to have these things that have been done to her, which is definitely a part of this story, by the way, right? We like to read this and think, like, she's kind of a floozy, like, she just is a wo- woman of the streets. And, and let's just say that doesn't exist outside of brokenness and, 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 and abuse. And, and, and in, in her case, societally and religiously being let down and overlooked, all right, and in most cases of brokenness culturally, the church is not an innocent, neutral bystander. All right, and that's happening in this story as well. And so Jesus exposes her sin, but not to, not to, not to humiliate her, but to love her and to bring healing and hope. And so as he does that, he says, listen, um, you, you've got this sin that your life has been defined by. And let me just say, someone, um, actually Joel Harris and I were talking earlier this week, and he talked about how we need to be quicker to call one another out. How it's sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to push through the awkwardness, the, the warning signs that you're feeling in your own gut in the moment that's saying, ah, it's going to be uncomfortable to bring this up. But I, I just, I, I love you too much to just kind of be an innocent bystander and sit by. And so we need to get more normal. It needs to become more, more of a flinch where we say, I, I see this going on. Not like trying to stand above one another or whatever, but where we understand the healing power of the gospel so much that, that, that the only thing that we had, that we needed for God to do is to bring our sin away from, to remove the fig leaves, Amen. And to expose the shame and the hurt and the pain and the brokenness so that he can in turn bring healing. And that's what he does in this woman's life. And yet she tries to change the subject. In this whole next section, verses 19 through 25, I'm not going to get into every part there, but, but she tries to change the subject. She's like, oh, well, you know, if you were Samaritan, you would have known this. And, you, and here's the thing. Jesus doesn't make her feel dumb. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't say, oh, you know, well, I'm the real, you know, I'm Jewish. Therefore, I've got all this privilege and power, and I'm going to put you in your place now. He enters into her story. He answers her questions, but he doesn't let that derail. He brings it back. All right? And, 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 and he brings her back to her, her true need and where she is. And again, she's trying to go all these different directions, but Jesus continues to pursue. And he gets to her heart. And again, ultimately, the result of sin is desperation. She has a longing in her heart that, again, Jesus sees. 
And if he would have taken her nonverbal, you know, or even verbal cues and been like, okay, cool, it's not going there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just steer away from the gospel. I'm going to get caught up in this debate that's all about whose well is what and which mountain you need to worship on and different things, right, which happens here. He doesn't settle for that conversation. He goes for her desperate longing and then he shows how he and his pursuing, exposing, and ultimately satisfying love is what she so desperately needs. And so that's when he, he explains to her, right? And, and it's like this aha moment. Oh, oh, we're talking about church, <laughs> like people, not chicken. Okay, or in this case, oh, we're talking about thirst that's not having to do with this well, this physical well here, but has to do with who I'm created to be. And, 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 and how God has provided for, again, my deepest thirst, my deepest longings, my deepest needs. And what Jesus did here is he exposes her idols. Okay, idols is something that we talk about here in church. And I understand in our day that can be really hard to understand, right? It's like, what, little statues, little figurines? Like, you know, I've got, and if you have a ton of figurines, maybe we need to talk about that. I don't know. It might just be more just be for like social weirdness, like little tchotchkes or whatever all over the place. But I, that's not an, an idol, okay? What, what in, an idol is, is a life-orienting thing, sometimes a good thing, that we turn into an ultimate thing that's not God. Again, going back to the very beginning, God created us to center around, to revolve around, to be, to be sent out of who he is and who we are in him. That again, our identity, our purpose, our deepest longings, our deepest needs would always directly flow from our relationship with him. That how we view ourselves, how we relate with one another, how we relate with the world around us. And so an idol is anything else that says how I view myself, how I view others, how I relate with the world, how I view God, how I view my work, how I view whatever else it is, is something other than God. Okay, and so Jesus is exposing these. In her case, it's men. And again, I talked about this, not because she's just that kind of woman. All right, and when that's the case in our day, it's never just because, oh, bad decisions, shame on her, shame on him, you know, just, well, if they pull themselves up from their bootstraps, they wouldn't be in that place, whatever. There's always a deeper story. And, and again, God's heart needs to be what drives us here and seeing what's, what's the story behind the story there? Well, what's going on? What's that posture, right? This woman, by the way, I didn't get to get in. This is part of that less is more. I wasn't going to say this, but I need to. Um, Right? She's really abnormally, like, direct with Jesus. In that culture, it would be unheard of that she's like, drink, why, why are you asking me for a drink? You know, like, and, all, and like, she, but she does that. And it's, it's likely because she's been so beaten down by life. She's a survivor. And she's just so used to getting by through those kind of interpersonal dynamics that that's how she relates with Jesus, which again is, 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 is not ordinary. And yet she, she talks to him in this way. And again, he talks to her similarly. He gets to her heart. But it's ultimately to reveal, listen, because of what's been done to you and then in response to that, because of what you've done and how you've oriented your life, you've, you've, you've put men in your relationship with men 
at the center. And that's a well that will never ultimately satisfy. And I know we have people in our congregation, hopefully you can connect the dots to wherever you are, whatever that is, that elusive job you have, or that relationship that you've either been longing for or clinging to, that you've said, if that goes away, my identity and my purpose and my ultimate needs and, and, um, and, and, and wants are not going to be fulfilled. And, and Jesus wants to lovingly expose that and show how he and he alone is the only ultimate satisfying provision that will quench your deepest longings, your, your greatest thirst. Okay, and we see that through his work on the cross. That Jesus came in his relationship with this woman, this Samaritan woman, all these walls that are up. Most clearly, God has blown those up by laying himself on a cross, by humbling himself to the most humiliating posture one could ever have, by hanging naked on a cross, by being crucified by a culture that, that was offensive to his own, so that all people who put their faith in him would, would, would now be restored, would now be, um, would understand that they are pursued, that they are, that they are exposed, because he was so clearly exposed, and then ultimately be satisfied and have our deepest needs met through his work. And his relationship with this woman is a foreshadowing of that. And then ultimately, what I want us to close with is her response. Just uh, pick up with me in verse 27 here. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Again, they don't get it. And often the religious people who should get it, and this is the same true for our day, we think, oh, they should get it. Oh, they don't get it. And time and time again, Jesus shows that the least of these, the people that should seemingly not get it, are the ones who he, who he uses as an example. The fact that he uses this woman, even in scripture here, as the example of someone whose eyes are opened and who gets it, is no small matter. And so in this next part here, right, they don't get it. But verse 28, in direct contrast to his own disciples who are just confused, so the woman left her water jar and went away into a town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Evangelism is a word that can be so confusing in our day so hurtful even in some cases. But look at what's happened here. This is the best picture of evangelism. As I shared even last week, evangelism can be very simply understood as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. All right, this is one person who has lived a life in isolation, a fear of being exposed, and then having deepest longings time and time and time again not ultimately be satisfied and fulfilled who meets Jesus, love that walks among us, and has her eyes opened. She's pursued by him. Her, her, her sins have been exposed and dealt with. And then ultimately she sees that her deepest longings, her deepest needs, her greatest thirsts are fulfilled and satisfied in Christ and in Christ alone. 
And she can do no other than to simply go and share. Come and see. So as we prepare to respond right now, I want to ask us a couple questions to go with. Okay, first of all, um, what are some of the walls that you have put up between you and God, between you and the people around you that, that he wants to remove? How is he pursuing you, even right now? Perhaps you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus You've never heard what it means to, to have a relationship with him. You've, and, and you understand even now, he's pursuing you. He's exposing your sin and he's showing that he has dealt with it and now he's calling you to be fully satisfied in him. How do you respond to him? Will you respond in faith? Will you place your trust in him? Again, perhaps you live with walls between you and other people, other demographics, how does his good news just remove those walls? How about idols? Is there something else? Whether you've never put your trust in Jesus, perhaps you are today for the first time, or you've been a Christian for a long time, are there things that you have oriented your life around that Jesus wants to expose and deal with and show you that, again, he and he alone will ultimately fully satisfy your deepest needs and longings? And then, finally, as we now respond, what does it look like for us individually? Okay, hear me now, for you and your family, and then for us, as Pastor Will said earlier, as a church family, what does it look like for us to go out with the posture of evangelism like this? It says, come and see. Come and see one who pursues, who exposes, and who ultimately satisfies. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your good news. Thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that every one of us in this room right now would see ourselves both as the Samaritan woman whom you have pursued and exposed and ultimately will satisfy and provide for. And Lord, also let us see those around us who are living in isolation, in fear of being exposed, and in desperation. Lord, we pray ultimately that again, the gospel, the good news of Jesus would be on display in us and through us for your glory and the good of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.